This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. All right, Kev. We got an interesting replay today, talking about the future of the contracting business. Yeah, what it was before and what it was coming into. The gentleman on the show, he's a legend to me. He's a friend of mine for a long time. Uh, Right after I started the business, I got him to meet him probably in the early 90s. And he's been a real staple in the community of our area where we grew up uh, when he got into the business in this area of educating contractors and knowing what the business was all about. Now, he's finally retired, uh, worked for a bunch of companies, and uh, it was a big part of me growing my VSP home remodeling company to where it was because of this gentleman right here. So he's the legend bud who's on the phone to talk about some of the fine things of prior, what we talked about in the 90s to 2000s up till now. What are we seeing in the, the contracting field today that's just been such a, a disaster? Because him and I were talking probably about a week ago about some of the things that he's seen and why one of the reasons why he had to retire and uh, what he's seen over the time over the first th- last 30 years, I would say. So, Bud, thanks for coming on and doing this. I do appreciate it. And uh, again, thank you for, you know, part of my success of VSP was because you got involved in, Bud was part of the era where I started launching products for a lot of the manufacturers right. nationwide. Bud is the one who instituted it all, and that's how big a part Bud was it. And, and I would tell you this, back when uh, I, I met my in-laws for the first time, before I got married. Now, most of the people know the story, which I'm not going to get into it today, but Bud was also part of that, of me getting my wife. So I, I know we, when we were talking about just a few things back in the, the early 90s, how contracting was. Now, why don't we just go back in time, just the good old days, we call them. When you've worked with contractors, what was some of the things that would stand out with a contractor back then that you don't see now? Everything is subcontracted out. And I think that's probably critical. Very few guys are the craftsmen that sell the job, do the work, run their crews, and are hands-on. You know, I, I can remember the biggest factor involved in that is quality control seems to wane over the years. You know, lots of people coming back to fix repairs, this and that. But, you know, when, when I started in this, there was a, ro- a typical roofing or siding or window crew, five guys locally, four guys and and the owner, you know, and the owner would be buying the material, setting up delivery. 
and they were actually tearing off the shingles, preparing the roof. It would take three days, maybe, if there were no problems to do a 30 square, you know, 3,000 square foot roof. You know, and I can remember <laughs> almost vividly the day that uh, I'm not going to name the contractor, but, you know, he's a local guy from Bucks County and started advertising he can do a roof in one day. That was staggering. Well, that, that was not part of it. What, what part of it was, Mrs. Brown, you can go off to work and when you come back today, you'll look like a new house because your roof will be done. You know, and, 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 and speed work is never a good recipe for quality. I would interject in something else, too. Back in the good old days, like 40s, 50s, when people were coming back after World War II and all that stuff, there were a lot of businesses, so-and-so, and sons. Where did the sons go? I just picked a an appliance repair company. I had a, a refrigerator problem because the name was and son, and you know who they are. Yeah, just in my and sons. Okay, so I knew it wasn't some f- sort of fly by night thing, and and they've been in business like since nineteen eighty one or something like that. So they were the people for me, and they did a really good job. But I think a lot of craftsmen sort of fell by the wayside over the years. They got older, they retired, and you don't have a, a new crop of people with that ethic coming into the business. Am I right about that or wrong about that? Well, I would certainly, I would agree with that. I mean, if you, th- if you, if you look at our youth, and I, I guess I want to be careful to say this, and I'm, I can only speak from my area, okay, which was southeastern Pennsylvania. All the kids were playing with Game Boys and joysticks, and, you know, keyboards, rather than getting out, you know, walking a roof or, you know, banging nails. In that respect, you need to have a labor force. You know, we all see these guys walking around on roofs, uh, wish they'd be harnessed more often, you know, but they're, they're working long days. And that's what used to be when I started in this business. Yeah, it was the roofing, because that's what I started out doing in the beginning, because the money was very good back then, because I was the one doing the work. Listen, do the work yourself, being an owner is one thing, but one of the changes what we're going to talk about through the future is this. A lot of people today are just don't want to do the work and they they think they can profit more by having more sub crews come in and do the work and they can just go out to try to push the well, sales. That's right, the QC is going, right, down, right, oh, it's going right down the tubes. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. absolutely going. So that's what they're trying to do is how do they get your money in their pocket as fast as possible until they go out of business? If you look at the past five, six years, I mean, Bud, you were in the area, of how many companies that were started up and shut down so quickly because the, the workmanship was crappy. They can't get any more work there. They're overcharging because all they're trying to do is extract the money as fast as they can because they know they're going out of business. These kids today don't want to get into this business because it, it is a harder business that you do have to work well, at. Sure, you have to yeah. work for your money. Sure, absolutely. So what they're doing is they're trying to get the illegals that are coming over and they're the ones that are just flooding the market and nobody's educated them enough to on properly doing a job. Just because you get it done in the day and you, you clean up, how's the workmanship? Did you do it properly? Did you replace the flashings? This is where I've seen physically with my eyes, nobody's doing that anymore. Well, if you add that to the fact that construction, guys who frame houses and stuff like that, there's no certification for any of that. I mean, it's just like, hey, you got a hammer, you got some nails, yeah. let's go to town. And you they know? put your two fingers over your wrist and exactly. they put a mirror over your mouth. All right, you're breathing, so, so you're going to go. Nobody's looking over it. Okay? No, no. And if you don't have any QC coming out of, the, out of the company that's hiring these people, you got no QC at all. Is that what you're seeing for the last five years, well, six years? Yeah, I would give some kudos to smaller regional groups such as NARI, uh, National Association for Remodelers. They're big into training. They're also big into training to educate the business owners on best practices and also about how to make how to be profitable because you know you have to be profitable <laughs> if you're if you're in business. You know, but but th- those groups are few and far between. I mean, look at the look at the tech schools. 
that were all over the place when I was young growing up. It's hard to even get people out of that, you know? I mean, there's a great trade school down uh, outside of Philadelphia called the Williamson Trade School. Those guys, those kids, they, they train them and they train them to be professional and gentlemen. They wear shirts, ties, and jackets. You know, we used to have them at our trade shows and it was so refreshing to see young kids interested in a professional manner. Now, like I say, that's few and far between. I mean, what kind of what kind of training does a subcontractor crew get on a route? You know, the guys that bring them in are the guys that are running their crews, which are the guys that the contractor is contacting to supply work. And Kevin, you touched on it when you said, you know, are you changing the flashings? I mean, how many skylights have you seen when you're tearing off a roof and they're not changing the flashing around a skylight? I mean, you're talking about a $70 item, you know? Right, or around a chimney or any place. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Well, what it is, because they're not getting paid to do that extra work, so they're not going to do it. Now, I'm not telling, see, I always tell everybody, look, sometimes it works, but if I'm going to be paying for a roof that's going to last me for 50 years, I'm going to make sure it's replaced and done right, because I don't want old stuff flashing that has holes in it. So if you're going to do it once and do it right, you're going to get the better bang for the buck. But some people are also looking for the price. See, when people get that cheap price and then they're, they're complaining about problems, well, why are you complaining? I keep asking them is because they went for the cheaper price. They didn't have the money. But I said, well, that's the whole situation. If you didn't have the money from the beginning, maybe you could have saved a, a little bit more, maybe repaired it to get you another couple of years. So when you do the job, you do it right. But a lot of times, see, it, it, advertising, people are fantastic with advertising because they're saying, hey, I've been in business for 30 years. And you've only been in business for a year, right, then you right. see it when it comes out, but now you're stuck. See, Bud's been around long enough, and him and I know for 30 years being in our area that we are in, we know the guys that have been around for quite some time. And those are the guys that are a little bit more reputable. And again, I'm not saying national name companies should be not in the area, but everyone's trying to make a buck. And I get that. But you still need to have that quality control that nobody's really pushing anymore. Okay, so Bud, what are the answers to this situation? Well, I don't think it's going to be quick to change the way it's going because roofing is a volume business, okay, for the contractor and and of course the supply houses. And to some degree, same with siding. I think if you look into the more finished type of work, interior work, the kitchen and bath, you know, where they do have training and things like that. I mean, to me, training is everything. I was trained every year in my end of the industry, in the supply end of it, and, and the product information, just that there should be that kind of training. I don't want to say there should be a weaning out because you have to be able to have the people to do the work. I don't think these sub guys are getting paid super well. They're being controlled by the contractor who is either being controlled by, you know, the guy looking for the work or the builder in the case of new construction. There has to be some sort of, uh, maybe even it's a grassroots uh, beginning to training and certification. Certification is the operative word here to me. We're going to be going out to Provia, our sponsor, looking at their certification courses, okay? you got to be certified to put in their windows and, and other products. I don't know who wouldn't want to do that. I mean, if you're a contract, who wouldn't well, want to do that? Well, here's the thing with uh, one of the roofing companies, the biggest probably roofing manufacturer out there has a certification program. And I remember sending pictures to the rep for GAF saying, hey, if this is certified, why is this done wrong? Well, I'll give you an example, like having a large overhang with a, like an 812 pitch, which is really steep, and putting one layer of ice shield, which is not even getting inside the house. Well, the certification requires you to be far inside the house, a vice shield to be applied to that. So if you're certified, and it says right on the thing, hey, we're this certified contractor, this manufacturer, but you're doing it wrong because the subs aren't doing it. It's a lot of more steps than just saying I'm certified. It's a great sales tool, but you have to, again, quality control. 
I think there has to be something like like in residential, like they have it in commercial. You know, if you're doing a big warehouse or a, bu- a big building roof and it's a flat roof with insulation and all this stuff in it, you know, to get part of their warranty, you have to come out and have that roof inspected. How many squares of shingles are sold in our market alone? If you had somebody who would come out and inspect every, imagine trying to sell a job and like, hey, you know, when I'm done, Mr. and Mrs. You know, homeowner, we're going to have this inspected by the manufacturer. Do you think you could tackle in a few extra dollars on that roof to have that done and known and marketed? That'd be great. And I think that would perpetuate itself. It's the underlayment. You know, the shingles aren't the problem. It's the underlayment. Everything's about underlayment. The proper Tyvek under the siding, which wrapped, the flashing, the ice shield, all that's got to be in place. So just take a picture. I mean, that could re- probably roll into play where it's not holding the roofer up and make the program go a little bit stronger, but it's the shortcuts. And I, but I'm telling you, every the last two years that I've personally seen, it's all about the shortcuts. Nobody wants to put the extra money for the ice shield, uh, put the extra flashing in the time because they're not getting paid. But when you look at it, it's, I always ask, what did you pay? Well, it's the cheapest guy we have. Well, that's what you're having in the long run because now you're calling the show and you're complaining about the problems that you have. So again, it's all about how they're going to sell, how they're going to get that money to your pocket. But the quality control has still been getting worse over the past five to six years. The last two years, it's been a disgrace in this industry, up in this area where I see it. Well, well, Tim, I would say I would suggest it goes back even farther than that. But it's all kind of based on competition. And, you know, I mean, if you're going to sell to be the low end, you know, here again, I tell, you know, we always talked with homeowners that would call up and then would say, you know, consumer beware, you know, I mean, and, and truth, truthfully so, that is the same as it was 30 years ago. If you take the lowest price, expect the lowest quality, you know, Correct. and maybe not all the time, but on like a roof, which is critical to the existence of your house, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's different than drywall and not to take anything away from drywall, but, you know, it's, it's a huge investment, you know, not only is it, you know, aesthetic, but it's, it's about as functional as you get in terms of protections, you know, and that has to be carefully done, no doubt. Well, if going about 30 years ago to today, I mean, if you remember 30 years ago, how many companies can you just ring off the top of your head, maybe about 50 to 100? Now there's hundreds of thousands in the state of Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. So that's the difference is that there's too much of that. So we're going to have to wrap it up here. I'd like to get you on maybe towards the end of the year. Now that you're retired, you still get some information. What are you seeing? And then we'd like to get you back on to talk a little bit further about this. And uh, but but it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor to know you as now you're retired. And uh, it was great having you all those years back in the beginning and the start of my company. So I want to thank you very much for that. It was entirely my pleasure, Kevin. And I'm, I'm, I'm here if you want to talk. <laughs> What are the latest scams and shakedowns? Let's find out with Ron and Kevin. It's the Bad Guy Bulletin. Okay, Kev. I'll tell you. Love this part of the week. These people work overtime. I don't know when they find time to do all this nonsense, but the one I have to report on today, I keep getting these. Maybe you get them too, Frank. No, just you. you. Huh? Just you. Just me. (laughs) No, I'm going to read this to you. Your order successfully placed from PayPal, Hira. Is your order here? Is your order details <laughs> perfect? I grabber yeah. 101 product name Springfield Armory. I wonder what that's all about. Invoice ID, and there's a whole series of numbers here. Amount 499 12 USD. Somebody bought a Glock or something. I don't know. Payment mode online. Easily place your order with us. If, if there is anything wrong with the order, if you need any assistance, please visit our help center. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's luring you in. Right, exactly. I'm going to call. I'm calling right away. All right. <laughs> That's like putting tuna oil in a tub full of sharks. <laughs> Does the product meet your expectations? So, 
<laughs> I mean, these things are almost laughable. But, I, but I'm sure people fall for this. If you have questions regarding a transaction, we advise you to check with your details to view your transactions. I immediately went to try to check my details. I don't have any details. I don't have a PayPal account. I just, how many times? What do these people want from me? And then they repeat their number again, so you make sure you don't get it wrong, right? This is a very, very active kind of situation. Did anybody else get this stuff? I got it. I got one right here. You got from, one from Ash Creek Armory for seven hundred fifteen dollars and sixty four cents. Well, you're going to pay it just like I did, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, Ash Creek, Ash Creek Armory, Ash Creek Armory LLC. But so I paid, you know, like any person. <laughs> Anybody was going to do. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'll, I'll, let's put that one on the table. If you get anything about PayPal and you don't have a PayPal account, whatever you do, do not call the number. It's not nothing good is going to happen, right? Well, you if you think that? about most of these ones that you don't even know what they are, they're scams. I mean, there's always ways yeah. to get around it. Like you can say, hey, if you get it, your bank starts writing you this, uh, hey, you owe money. Did this? Don't go off the email. Go to your bank itself and talk to somebody in person. I mean, that's the best way anybody can give you. It's just don't fall into this trap. Because once you fall in, it, it, they're pretty good salespeople. That uh, once they get you on the phone, oh, once they get you on the phone, they're like sharks. They're gonna they're gonna bite into your leg and they're not gonna let go. You know, mm. I got one here that I just want to tip everybody off to. This is definitely coming. If you've heard the term AI, artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. right? This is like scammers holiday. I mean, these people are going to go crazy when AI really becomes every day and in every place. Can you imagine like getting a call from your grandmother? She needs money. And there, there's her picture on your Facebook page. That's what AI can do. Yeah, I'm looking right at it. That was mine that I'm yeah. going to be talking All about. Right. Go ahead. Tell me about it. So here's one. I, and again, I'm not a big social media guy. We just do the show. Everything on social media is the show. So I got on Messenger and it's been coming up. A lot of the people that I am friends with are on Messenger, but the people I'm friends with, I, I talk to. So uh, I, I get this one from a good buddy of mine who's filthy loaded. Lots of money. I mean, bought Ferraris. He's got Porsche. He's got everything. So uh, he said, hey, how you doing today? I'm like, well, why would he be calling? Because I'm, I'm going to see him in a week. <laughs> but why, I, and he doesn't use, he's, he does, he, I don't even know. He has it to have it, but he doesn't use it. What is it? It's Facebook? a Facebook account. Oh, okay. So it says on a messenger, hey, glad to hear from you. I'm not doing so well. I have sore throat. I'm not feeling good. My medical bills are adding up. And I was wondering if you could spare some money. And it just kept going on. Like, spare money. Guy's worth like one to $200 million. I, so then I, I, I said, well, that's great. So I, I actually said to him like, you know, how are you doing living in San Francisco now? And he never got back to me. Then he wrote back a day later, I'm doing wonderful. So now he's in San Francisco. It's my neighbor, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this guy, then he starts going on. I'm extremely blessed. And then he starts showing me pictures of, I don't know what the heck this was. But a week went by again, week went by again. Then he just kind of asked a couple questions. And then I'm with my buddy. And then ba-boom. You're with the guy who... I'm with the guy I'm with. sitting next to him. Sitting next to him. So he wrote, uh, hey, how you doing? Uh, are you receiving my messages? I said, no, but I am sitting with you now. Why are you messaging me? I'm sitting across... Here it is, right? You see I it? see it. I see it. I'm sitting across the it. table with you. Why are you messaging okay. me? So then he started talking about AARP and uh, a whole bunch of stuff and then trying to get me to buy into this. So finally, at the end, I just wrote fraud. And then I never heard from him again. No, of course that's not. That's been two weeks. Of course not. I'm afraid you're going to report him to the FBI or whoever you have to report I just, to. I, you know, I, I see him on my messenger, and I know the people they're not sending him. I just don't engage. But I figured I'd give this one a shot because he needed money. And the guy who I'm friendly with on there does not need money. 
and it was just going back and forth and talking about it. But it's the fraud that once you start engaging in the conversation, you don't want to engage. No, you do not want to engage. I mean, that's the overall lesson to uh, take away from today. You do not want to engage. So we right. talked about two different types of uh, scams. One is the uh, the PayPal thing. You just bought a firearm or whatever you bought. Okay. <laughs> And if you have any questions, please call us to such a such and such a number. Don't do it. Do not pick up the phone and do it, especially if you don't have a PayPal account. And then the other one is on Facebook. And I'm sure a lot of this stuff goes down on Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. On Facebook, if you get uh, somebody who knows you and they're looking for money, just say goodbye. Yeah, here, I mean, here it all is. That's why I said it. I'm going to bring this in and show you he needs money. There good, you go. So good. I finally wrote fraud and there's nothing past that again. <laughs> goodbye. Yeah. And you're not going to get probably not get maybe... Some, from somebody else or there'll be a different scam now you get from the same guy i don't know probably uh, has multiple facebook accounts there was about too. seven of them in the past month and a half that responded to me and i don't even use messenger i just happened to put it up i saw them on there and just kind of clicked through them and it just happened to be that one of them is a, a closer friend of mine and i was just with him that following week when i somehow miraculously got because i said to him i said you might want to call your facebook account because it's, there's some fraud going on I said somebody hacked your account i said what do you mean i'm like hey look I'm sitting next to you, and this guy's writing to me. So we're just laughing, having a good time with it until uh, he started extracting money by saying, hey, work with this. Give me money here. Do this. You can set this program up. And I just wrote fraud, and then that was yeah. the end of it. So they Okay, know. well, the curtain comes down on this week's bad guy bulletin, right? But just keep in mind, do not respond to these people. Do not respond. And it seems like it comes in flurries. You know, they, they get real active, then they get unactive, then they get active again. So I, I don't know, maybe it's like a gang or somebody out there doing this and thinking you're accomplishing something for the good of all people. I don't know. Well, especially in emails, you never want to open or click on anything in email. Just delete it. That's yeah. the best thing. Get don't click on anything that because then they're opening a, a can of worms into your system. So Okay, and I, I want to have everybody listening right now should listen to uh, this next interview we're going to do with Ryan. He's a veteran volunteer firefighter talking about wildland fires. And can they happen in your area? Yeah, they probably can. If you live in a deep suburban or rural area, they probably can. So very important information coming up. All right, we'll be back after we take a quick break. We've been telling our listeners about Provia entry doors and windows, but there's a lot more to Provia, right, Kev? Yeah, you bet. Provia is your one source for professional class entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and incredible metal roofing. In fact, Provia makes all the product you need to create the perfect home exterior. They do it all the Provia way, the professional way. Hey, Kev, didn't you just use Provia siding and doors on your home? Yep, the look of my siding and doors have landed me a ton of work. Okay, so what sold you on Provia vinyl siding? The same that sells my customers. Provia Siding Reflex Heat protects against UV rays and solar heat buildup that ensures long-lasting color. Then there's a range of traditional, insulated, and decorative siding profiles, all with the look and feel of real wood. And a selection of now colors, including dark and bold hues. So, what's your take on Provia Manufactured Stone? The molds of Provia Stone are created from natural stones, giving it a quarried stone look with a great range of shapes and sizes. Customers love them, and the 10 choices of color palettes, Provia Stone goes with any environment. To see how Provia Siding and Stone combine to create the Provia Perfect Exterior with great curb appeal, visit Provia.com. Click on Designer Collections under the Design It tab. Hey, Kevin here, installing another Provia entry door. I do about 50 or more a year. Schlage knobs, hardware, and handle sets make a great complement to any Provia fiberglass or steel entry door. Provia and Schlage, I think, are the best combination of curb appeal, style, and security money can buy in entry doors. And Schlage now has a complete line of Wi-Fi locks, including the new Encode Plus, which can be locked or unlocked with the tap of an Apple Watch. Amazing. Provia and Schlage, there's no better combination for entry doors.
Okay, Ron, that is time for the featured segment. I know uh, just a few weeks ago we had that fire that was burning my eyes that was uh, coming down in the smoke all over Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Yeah, I made a mistake. I didn't want to hang up three other people. We played tennis that day when it was all smoky. And, man, I'll tell you, running around, it got into your lungs. It was, it was really nasty stuff. So, I mean, did you ever imagine it would be a major wildfire in eastern Canada? I did not. Did you ever imagine we'd have the fallout from it? No, well, that, you told me about that, and I, I couldn't figure out what this smoke was. I thought it was like a... You thought somebody was smoking a cigar in your backyard? There's a big like, cigar out there, I can tell you that. Okay. That happened a few weeks ago in Canada. It was a nasty situation for us. It's kind of what I've experienced in L.A. a couple times already. And I suspect that a major wildfire or fallout from one could happen in other areas of the U.S. when you least suspect it could be happen here, could happen in the South, could happen in the Midwest. Here to help us understand wildfires and how they happen and how to mitigate the effects of one if it happens in your community is Ryan, a veteran volunteer firefighter in Pennsylvania. Um, Ryan, welcome back to your valuable home. Ryan's been on before. We've covered the subject of wildland fires with you before, but these fires cause such devastation that a short refresher course probably is in order, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I think a lot of people are now becoming more aware because of the news that looking at their property saying, am I in a fire prone area? And I think if there's one thing that's happened in the last few years, it's made people at least more aware to what to look out for. Yeah, it's, it certainly made me more aware. As a matter of fact, I um, after after we experienced this in Pennsylvania, I called my buddy who I'd seen a couple of weeks before that. It was outside of London in England. I said, when you go outside, you can smell Canada from your house. Because it went to Norway, it went to England, it went all over uh, that part of Europe. Yeah. So, yeah, small and, world. And, yeah, and generally, uh, what people should probably know is that usually there's fire seasons, and it depends where you are. Like, for example, we're, we're in Pennsylvania. Wildfire season's usually coming out of winter to spring because everything's dead mm-hmm. and the heats up the fuel. California, I think it's more in October, November, December. And you can still have off, you know, different times, wildfires. It's just, you got to have a combination of dead fuel, wind, and obviously something to ignite it. So it's a lot of these conditions all coming together. So wildfire seemed really is seasonal depending upon your geography then, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't have to worry about too much in the winter in Pennsylvania. <laughs> We've had a couple one-off if there's like a field that's dead and is some, I mean, a patch of fire, but those big fires that you see out west or that spread or what's even happening in New Jersey now, you know, New Jersey's going through a lot of wildfires, especially in their pine lands. In Burlington County, they have one right now. They had a, they had a pretty busy season this year. Yeah, Burlington County is the Pinelands County, isn't it? That's where all the Pinelands are, aren't they? Yeah, that's one of them. I mean, it stretches through a couple. If you ever drive to the Jersey Shore and want to avoid traffic. I, I like going through New Egypt and down through Fort Dix. It's a better ride, in my opinion. You go right through that. And that's where you can see a lot of the heartland where the wildfires in Jersey have been occurring. And, you know, you got thick forests, a lot of dead fuel and the right conditions. And if nobody gets to the ignition source and you have a small fire and nobody sees it and it's in the middle, it, it will eventually grow. That's where some of these big fires have occurred especially in canada i haven't really read about the one in new jersey is it under control they i think it's 60 percent under control now but they're they're getting to it but it's just been the one thing i've noticed it's been very active the last few years they've had a very active wildfire season and it goes up and down i mean and what people got to realize is most volunteer companies in the country are usually in mildly populated suburban or rural areas 
So the rural areas are the ones that usually have the most wildfires. So they're usually the first ones on scene before you have any state agency. Last year, we didn't have as many. A couple of years ago, we had a lot of wildfires up where we were. So it sometimes goes seasonal. Again, it comes in out of, you got to look at the winter. How much snow did you get? How much dead fuel is still on the ground? Do you, does it go from negative five to 75 in one, you know, one week? Therefore, you know, it really hastens everything and makes it easier for stuff to burn. I mean, you got to look at all those conditions. Joe, it's, it's a multiplicity of factors that result in your area being a fire-prone area versus not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, w- I would say if you look at it, a lot of places in Pennsylvania where you live in the suburban areas, you're not really prone to big wildfires. California gets a lot of attention because many reasons. You got to look at the vegetation. Their vegetation is different than ours. They have drier conditions, much drier conditions. They have winds. Wind is a huge factor in spreading fire. And then the other thing that people, I think, don't realize about California is they have over 150 million dead trees and they never deforest the uh, land properly. And I read last year they had 36 million more die last year. And unlike grass that dies, you know, if the grass dies in the winter, it usually turns green. Well, if you have dead trees, they usually don't turn green or go. They're just sitting there. It's it's fuel. So you add that and you add a lot of people in California like living in the wildland urban interface. They think it looks nice. It's cool. Well, it's cool until it catches fire. That's the, so you you have population expanding to these areas. You have lack of deforestation and thinning of the forests and getting rid of dead wood. They never really had a good program in California from what I was told, so it's all catching up. You add up all the factors, invasive species killing these trees, winds, uh, dry heat, it's a disaster. And even in California, I've heard that it's now a lot of insurers don't even, they won't even write policies. And the policies they write are six figures. You're talking 200,000. Same thing happening in Florida for a different reason, water and wind. If you're anti-climate change, just say it's it's the evolution of the climate. And it's probably been evolving for years and years and years, thousands of years. But whatever it is, it's nasty stuff right now. I mean, the, the storms are, are more violent. Look at what happened just recently down into Texas and one tornado after the other, after the other, after the other. In heat, that's over 100 degrees. Now they're put out of the house and they're in 100 degree heat too. So it's just like, okay, enough already. You know what I mean? It happens. But it happens, sure. We experienced the smoke from Canada. I, I've been in LA already. There was a fire in, in the Montecito area, if you recall, a couple of years ago. And I went to visit somebody in LA and helped him clean the ash that was falling on his roof in his pool. Montecito's like 60, 70 miles away. So the winds out there carry the stuff a long, long way. We don't have the wind here, but can't a fire create its own sort of micro environment? I mean, yeah, if you get some of these fires, they call fire natos. You see the videos where it's, it's the wind is so strong and then the, you, have a, you have a fire plot of vegetation and trees. It's so it's just it's just ripping and roaring in the wind. It looks like a fire nato. And then you add the, but the wind is, wind is one of the worst factors in spreading it. Wind will exponentially make your life hell on a fire. I've seen it happen where the wind comes and everything in, in one second, a 40 acre fire becomes a hundred acre fire. I mean, it's just, it, it just goes. There's a whole strategy in fighting wildfires, completely different than structure fires. But wind, wind is really your enemy. We had a fire, I think this year where it was some guy was burning. And this is another stupid thing people need to stop doing is look, you can look online to see if it's 
a dry day and it's fire prone, that's a fire warning. Don't burn stuff. So this guy was burning stumps the day before. It was absolutely just completely windy, awful. No wind this day that he burned and it got out of control. Had the wind been that day before today, the day we showed up for his fire, which got it got somewhat out of control, it would have gone through the whole valley. Like that would have been a complete. We were talking about like if this was yesterday, we would have had to probably have airdrops to come in because because the whole valley was dead. It was all dead. But you look down in his. It's not. It's not like a well known one. But you look at his property. It goes down and it's just. We all said to ourselves, man, this would have been all day. This would have been a multiple day. It was bad. And I just and the guy had a really nice house. And I thought to myself, he must not have had brains. I mean, how is he? How can he afford this house and decide to burn all his stumps next to this? That's one of the things that people need to realize, too. I think the best thing I always tell people when you buy a house is you got to look around. Like if you want to protect yourself from any type of wildland fire or look at the what is around you. I mean, I go around my garage every winter. I cut off a lot of dead vegetation and remove it. You know, you don't want to have all these trees that could be dead or, or some shrub that could if they catch fire, they could catch your house on fire. Brian, in your opinion, what is the number one issue with fires? How are they created? Is it more human error or nature? I think it's a mix of both. I mean, uh, when it comes to wild, you're talking wildland fires and these, I mean, a lot of it's human error. I mean, in Los Angeles, you have a lot of the homeless people. You have kids. Yeah, I saw a gender reveal party, electrical wires. It's some sort of lightning. Uh, the, the, the Canadian fires, they don't know. what They think it's either man-made or lightning. Okay. Lightning definitely does happen, but I would probably say... Most of the fires are inadvertently man-made because it doesn't take much. All you need literally is one cigarette, one match. You've been out on these things, and you're in your particular case. What have you seen? Is it man-made? Well, we don't. We we sometimes we don't. Oh, it's electric. We've seen electrical wires. You know, if wires are down. That's a big one. Uh, we've seen kids playing in the field and thinking it's fun, and then getting away, and they just run away. And pretty soon, you got you know, 50 acres on fire. That's one of them. Uh, and a lot of them are undetermined because we don't know. It's somebody calling us. Oh, and like I said, a lot of them are, there's the homeowner admits they were, it was, they were trying to burn. It was a controlled burn gone wrong. That's a lot of them, I'd say. That's a good amount where they go, they, they try to burn and it just goes awry. I mean, if there's, if there's a big burn, and I've been with you in uh, Rosemary's old house where we did, we did some burning, but you were there, and I felt, you know, very confident with the with that situation. But in a big in a big burn, should you call the fire department to be there? Yeah, and then you might want to alert. You don't necessarily call the department, but you call the county to tell them you're burning if it's permitted, so that their neighbors, if they call them, because we get a lot of calls where you can do certain controlled burns in certain townships. So we show up, and it's controlled burn, and that's fine. It's just. Nobody told you know, the, the, the county, so the county gets a call from a neighbor who sees these flames and then calls us, right? So that's, so that's one thing you might want to call. And, uh, and, and the thing is, you, I try to always say keep it small. Like if you're going to do a burn and get rid of stuff, feed the fire slowly. Make sure you have no exposures. So if you're in a field where there's just grass and green grass and it's not a windy day, and you and just you have to monitor it and be around it. So it, it just take precautions and kind of use common sense. Hmm. So they haven't they really haven't pinned down the cause of the Canadian fire yet, have they? No, they don't. They think it's either lightning 
or man-made something. I mean, it, it was pretty far north. It was, a, I think it was like 40 miles north of Montreal, which, you know, the Canadian border, most people, 90% of the population live within 50 miles of the border because it's freezing once you get further up there. There's not many big towns or anything up there, so it's sparsely populated. Anything could have started that. We are proud, I guess, roughly 600 miles from where that happened. But look at how, I mean, your backyard was, it was like having a fog out there, right? It was. A lot of smoke, a lot of smoke for days, not just a day, for days. So my, my question is, in the case of a wildland fire that has an impact across international borders, does it warrant an international response? I mean, that's up to the jurisdiction if they can, if they need, I mean, I think Canada was looking for some extra firefighters. And there were probably American firefighters who went up there to help them. Australia had really bad wildfires about four years ago, if you remember, and people went over there. Spain's had some really bad ones where other European nations went over and helped them. Yeah, I mean, I think whenever they need extra, it's kind of like what we do here. When we get a call and we have a call on the river, we're Pennsylvania, but Jersey companies help. They're called in. There's cooperation with other townships, other departments. So usually international cooperation is not uncommon. I think it's just up to the jurisdictions and how, and if they need the manpower, how they get it. I don't think there's usually an issue. I wonder who would be responsible, though, if a lot of people got sick, like people with chronic conditions, if they breathe in that smoke, which is uh, really toxic, isn't it? It's not good. Like, I wouldn't go out. But it's, think about it. It is wood. It's a campfire. I'm not saying going out and run a marathon or do this, but it's organic material that's burning and it's a lot of it that's why everybody's i mean it's thousands thousands of acres so the smell and the yeah it's it's you want to kind of shelter in place for a bit but it's not like somebody's burning a landfill next to you which is which i've had before people burn things of trash and that's awful when you smell that that's toxic and some the other thing that people don't realize is under normal conditions you know, when vegetation burns, it's actually good to regenerate the grass. It provides like a fertilizer. It helps. So when, when, when the grass is burned or some of the vegetation is burned, it's actually good for the grass. It's natural. But obviously why people are freaked out is when you get out of control and everything burns, yeah, then it becomes a hazard to humans, property, life, all that stuff. Um, but just people got to remember it. it's organic material and it is uncomfortable and I wouldn't, I would not advise, but I wouldn't be as freaked out about it. I would just try to avoid and, you know, like I said, if you want to wear a bandana or something, these fires are not exactly, you know, this one in Canada was one of the first uh, in my, in recent memory that's bad. So it's not like it's happening all the time. If you live in an area where it's happening all the time and you want to move, that's a different story. Right, right. Well, uh, witness California, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, a, again, going back to people who move to California and build their homes in these places. I mean, this is what you got to, these are hazards you have to understand. And obviously, the real estate agent is not going to tell you that because they want to, you know, oh, look at this great place. Or if you buy a flood-prone area, right, that floods three or four times. There's a creek in a village near me where we had the hurricane come through or in the hurricane, the, one of the storms. And this guy's house has flooded three times because he's next to a creek. Well, he thought it looked nice when he bought the house. Well, he was out after the third flood. But, but, that's, but that's the type of stuff you got. You got to do your research of where you decide to build or live in the house. 
Well, today, the other factor is, too, and it's happening with fires, but it's also happening big time in Florida because of the wind and the, and the, and the storm surges. Insurers are pulling out of the state. They are pulling out of the state. I mean, I think one of the most viable, I think State Farm was one that uh, was going to stay, and I think they just pulled out. So the only viable insurance you can get in Florida is, is state-run, but it doesn't really cover a whole heck of a lot. Well, it forces you to, to upgrade your house to where it should be. Uh, you know, today's building app, we've been thinking of this, I, I've been thinking of this building for years and years and years this way of elevating it up. Uh, crash walls where they would break away. Uh, as long as you're so many feet above the ground, it, it can take that. We can always build better. It, I mean, same no thing with fires. If, if I mean, we've had Ilyasrov on to right. talk about this, the house that he he designed that can withstand the hundred and well, it was a Cat Five, right? Cat, Cat five, five hurricane. hurricane. Yeah. And the water that comes with it, too. Right. That's the thing has got to be elevated up, depending on the low-lying areas. As long as your house is elevated up with crash walls or breakaway walls uh, where they can just open up and the water can get through. I mean, you, you heard when we did uh, the, the show with Post Ian, when it, that came through, a couple of the guys that we did talk to had the houses years ago, but in the early 90s when their, their last storm came through, they elevated the house to right. 14 feet in the air and they had no damage. Right, right, right. So this one was, yeah, winds can damage it, but they are building better. But now you got to look at the back ends of the yeah, storm but how do you surge. Build, how do you build a house that withstands fire, like huge fire? Well, you, you can build a, I mean, Kevin's right. You got to build like some of these houses you see where everybody's house is gone and there's one house standing. Well, he had a metal roof. He probably had uh, fiber cement or stone or so he minimized combustible building materials. Yeah, that's what you got to do. I mean, that's if you want a fire resistive house, if you live in a fire prone area and uh, you have to look at that, just like he says, you have to build 14 feet up in certain areas where there's could be water damage or storm surges. Right. Right. Maybe around the house, having more landscape of stone, uh, not mulch. Yeah. See a lot of that in California too, not necessarily in LA, but in other areas of California where people don't have, they don't actually have a lawn. There's no lawn. It's a lot of stone, sculptured stone, stuff like that. Ma low maintenance, no yeah, water. Low maintenance, no water. Yeah. So it is, it is possible to build safeguards against wildfires. How about in expansive, sparsely populated areas? Is, is it, does it make sense to clear out like a, a zone? Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, the best thing I can have, uh, one thing I advocate is if somebody wants to move to like California or something, like, you got to clear away all the exposures and combustible, like all the trees. Like if you, if you, if you live in a very fire prone area, clear the fuel away. Cause that's what's going to really, that's what's going to really hurt you is that the fuel from the trees or the shrubs are going to be so hot that it, it basically heats up the rest of your uh, materials and it catches fire. You want to make it like an oasis in a you know so there's nothing around it so if fire surrounds it it's going to stop and if there's ashes that go in the air it hits your roof which is metal you see what i mean so that's 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 what you want to do you want to look at it like okay because the, the the thing the only way to stop the <laughs> stop the fire is obviously if you can't extinguish it's fuel you cut off its fuel supply so if, if you're surrounded by this massive fire and it, and it comes up to your property and there's nothing but small one inch grass for a half mile before your house, you're going to be in a, you'll be safe. But the people in California live within the four, they live in the urban that they don't, you see these, you have to just watch the videos. They don't, a lot of them don't have that type of thing. And they don't have that buffer zone. They don't have a buffer zone like that. And a lot of it, I guess. And also the, the type of uh, the, the shrub or the topography there and the uh, vegetation is different. So you add in all of that, but yeah, that's, I always, and like I said, I go around my own house. 
even even if we don't have wildfires, I don't want a light or something to light my dead bush on fire and it catches my garage. It's stuff like that. That that happens today in a lot of people's houses where a side of a house catches fire because of something, whether it's a trash can with ashes or a dead tree. And they have That's mulch there. Mulch. I mean, I remember uh, I remember a couple of years ago I was doing an event at a local supermarket here. The supermarket right across from the parking lot had mulch around the base. Somebody threw a lit cigarette in there. That place went up like that. The whole store went up. And thank God they got all the people out. But it, it doesn't take a lot. Now, well, Ryan, in your professional opinion for our listeners, for most of the people, not the people that live in the woods, but if you're most of the people in America across where you're living, is there a safe zone that you need to create like a, a dead area where there's going to be no combustibles? Well, you got to look at it. A lot of neighborhood, this, this wildfire problem is not prone to everywhere, right? So if you live in an area where it could come through and wipe out developments, like we know in California, Perch, Colorado, you know, those areas, usually they call, tell you to evacuate. There's no like, you know, it's evacuation time. But the, the, the best safe zone I could tell you is probably uh, in a basement. Uh, if, you're, if you're trapped in a house, is the basement or like a, the best thing you could do is if you have a, what we say in the fire service is get in the black. So when something's burned out, you get in the area that's burned out. Now, I know that can't happen if you're surrounded, but let's say you have black top. Let's say if you have an asphalt, you want to stay low. If you're surrounded in your property and you're completely consumed and you can't get out, you want to get to the area that can't burn and be low. That's the best thing you want to do and put something and put your stay low and go to an area furthest away that you know it can't. And you're going to feel the heat. It will be hot, but don't stand up and just that, that's the best thing I could I tell you. But like I said, a lot of these places, if they have wildfires, they're evacuating you. They're going to tell you that there's evacuation warning. They're going to tell you to get out. Yeah, they do. And a lot of people don't. But and then and. And one of the things you can do is some of these people put their own portable tanks in where they have some fire hoses or, or forestry hoses. They, they can pump it from their pool. The best, the best thing you can do is make sure your property and your pool, like if you have a pool, the furniture, look for combustibles. What's going to go up in flames? That's the thing that's going to really cause problems and make the fire just grow. Well, you want to get your car out of the garage too, because if it's got a full tank of gas, I mean, yeah, good. yeah. I mean, you want to get you want to get your car out. I, that, that that's true. I mean, the the most important thing I always say is you got to protect your life and your family. Okay, I mean, absolutely. And and, and 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 you don't know how much time you have. Some of these people, you have a fire and you have days because it's moving. Some of it you don't. You have an hour because you don't you don't know. So you always want to make sure that you can you can go to an area that's just basically that will not burn like a blacktop and keep your, you know, have a plan sketched out. That's it's just like a fire plan for your house. Correct. I okay. like it. Yeah. I like it too. It makes a lot of sense. There are certain areas in, as I said before, in Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, and certain areas of California too, like Palm Springs. Are they at less risk for wildfires? They go out of control because in Palm Springs, I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find, find a lot of vegetation anywhere in Palm Springs. You know, I don't know a lot about Palm Springs, but I can tell you that if there's, if there's not much vegetation anywhere and there's basically stones and sand or something, yeah, you're, you're going to, you're obviously going to be safer because you're surrounded by stones and sand stuff. So in other words, people in fire prone areas can fireproof their landscape, can't they? 
Yeah, you can. You can. It's not the prettiest. And again, a lot of people move to Los Angeles and people who have houses and say, I want to have nice. I don't want to have fake grass. Right. I want to have all these trees. I want to have privacy because everyone's looking at each other. Right. And in Los Angeles, everyone can see each other from their backyard um, and the houses are close together. So a lot of people, it makes sense, but they don't like to do that because they want to have a night. They want it's not the nicest looking thing. But it's probably the best. Okay, talk. We got we got we got to wrap it soon. But talk for a few minutes about the prevalence of volunteer fire departments and the importance of supporting your local volunteer firefighters. Well, I mean, most people, I think, from what I encounter, don't realize that seventy percent of the country uh, firefighters are volunteer, and most of the volunteers are concentrated in rural and suburban areas. Because cities don't have volunteer. You just you they have too many calls. They won't be able to get the response time they need. So, but most areas have fire have volunteer departments, and these volunteer departments. There's been a massive shortage over the years, probably an 85 percent decline in members in 30 years. So, they're all they're, that's a big problem in this country. And the one thing with regards to wildfires, like I said, is that you don't get too many wildfires in cities. Okay, in the cities. So the city departments. You know, they don't they're not using wildland. Most wildland fires or brush fires are going to be in rural areas. And the, like I said, rural areas are mostly populated and controlled by volunteer companies. So your first on scene person responder is going to be the those people before a state agency comes in or a federal or something. Is the personnel problem because young people like you aren't coming into the firefighting world? That's part of it. I think the the people aren't coming into it, and one of it is the training. The training is extremely long, it's hard, and they've added so many more hours. So people don't want to, they get dissuaded and discouraged when they hear the 200 hours to to join, uh, just to become certified. And then you add everybody's moving and everybody has other things and where people work many jobs to make a living. You add all those factors, it's just a changing world. Yeah, in many, many, many regards, yep. Ryan, this has been fantastic. Hopefully it will protect a lot of our listeners out there who have uh, picked up some tips from you today. We appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. And everybody be safe. Hey, Kev, great news on how our listeners can tap into their home equity without taking a loan, making monthly payments, or piling on debt. With Unison, they get up to 17.5% of their home's value to remodel, pay off debt, buy a vacation home, whatever. You have Unison, right? Yep, paid off medical debt. Unison's terms were perfect for me, especially zero monthly payments for up to 30 years. Zero monthly payments? How do they make money? When you sell your home, you pay them the original co-investment amount plus a percentage of the change in your home's value up to 30 years later. How do we learn more? Go to unison.com backslash YVH, which stands for Your Valuable Home. Again, that's unison.com backslash YVH. Additional terms and conditions apply. Visit unison.com backslash YVH for details. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone and metal roofing, products made with latest technology and honest old-world craftsmanship. The Provia way. That's this week's podcast. Your Valuable Home comes to you every week on the new Pod City Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, and all other popular podcast directories. 
If you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story, email me at kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. That's kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 